environmental issues and uh, issues pertaining to reproductive health. As you may surmise from her surname, she is a Turner. She is the daughter of Ted Turner. And we have an interesting conversation about how the founding of CNN and CNN International helped shape Laura's own worldview. Uh, And we also have a conversation about something near and dear to the shaping of my own worldview from an early age, which is Captain Planet. Laura is the chair of the Captain Planet Foundation. And, you know, if you are a mid-aged uh, Gen Wire like myself, if you're in your early 30s, you probably grew up watching the Captain Planet cartoon, uh, which was dreamt up by Ted Turner, uh, and we talk about sort of how that helped shape a sort of generation of young environmental activists. So have a listen, enjoy, uh, and here is Laura Turner Seidel. speaking uh, about a week, I I suppose, after you've returned from Addis for the big International Family Planning Conference. I want to ask you, sir, what compelled you to to go to the conference? Well, first of all, um, you know, my dad has always uh, been a huge uh, supporter of gender equity, you know, uh, having women in his company before it was really um, uh, something that was done, and of course, in the media business, uh, it was mostly men for a long, long time. Um, but he's also always been um, uh, all about empowering women and girls. And, and I can remember, you know, t- 20 years ago uh, that he would talk about uh, FGM, um, which is fe- female genital mutilation before anybody really even knew what that was. Mm -hmm. And I I remember being at cocktail parties and people having to virtually pick up their, or literally pick up their jaws up off their chest because they were so blown away with what Dad was talking about. But he is, uh, you know, that's always um, been something he's uh, been very passionate about. And, uh, you know, we have funded... um, funded it through the Turner Foundation, and we've also um, seen, you know, what what uh, has happened in, in, through the work of the U.N. Foundation and their focus on empowering women and girls, which is such an important part of, of the equation in, in, in solving the world's uh, problems. Uh, we know that if you empower women and girls, they become um, uh, big drivers of the economy, they make sure that their their children are well educated and healthy. Uh, uh, it, it's important to give them what they want most, which is reproductive health care and access to voluntary contraception, so that they can plan the timing, spacing, and uh, number of children that they have, uh, which is which is a, a, a huge thing and. I traveled with with my father and the UN Foundation board four years ago to to Nigeria, and it was at that point 
that we learned that 32 million women in Nigeria wanted access to reproductive health care and uh, voluntary contraception, family planning, but did not, could not access it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that 32 million is just part of the 222 million women, mostly in sub-Saharan countries and South, South Asian countries, Southern, yeah, South Asian countries. And these are the poorest countries, the poorest women in the poorest countries. And, um, and because of lack of education and lack of access and cultural barriers, they, uh, they are not able to make uh, the, the choices um, for, for themselves and their families that, that in this country, and I know with my own children, that we are privileged to have. And I think, I mean, I wonder, so it seems that part of the problem um, uh, is that sort of international funding for these issues are not, uh, it's one, it doesn't seem commensurate with the need. I mean, it certainly isn't if you have 222 million uh, sort of people who want access to family planning but don't have it. But when you look at sort of the, the MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals in total, the ones that deal with women and girls are those that are farthest from completion. Uh, and it seems that at least, you know, the, the, the corner may be turning now, but it seems that, um, you know, at least for the last 10 years, funding, international funding for these issues has sort of has, has lacked. Uh, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on sort of why that is. Well, I don't. I think you know uh, George W. Bush coming into office, and and on his first day, he signed off on the global gag rule, which really hampered, uh, you know, uh, funding in this country towards international family planning. Um, uh, it, you know that that's part of it, but. You know, I think that the funding community has definitely come back together um, because of leadership uh, with, uh, from Bill and Melinda Gates. Uh, Melinda was actually one of the uh, keynote speakers in opening the conference, and, you know, she blew everybody away by saying this is about saving lives, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is absolutely uh, uh, true. And if you were to meet unmet need of the poorest women in, in the world, these 222 million women, you would prevent 54 million um, unwanted pregnancies. You would, uh, you would uh, prevent 27 million abortions, more than half of them unsafe. And you would prevent 1.1 million infant deaths. Uh, this is the Lord's work here. You know, this is this is uh, no matter what religion you profess to, this is about saving lives. And if we can give those women what they so much desire uh, to for their own health and welfare, and you know that when you empower women and girls, uh, there's a multiplier effect. So you empower them, you allow them to make these choices about. Um, about their their families and and and, and about uh, being economic drivers and uh, in their in in their household, then all of a sudden they can improve the, the the lives of their families, their communities, and beyond. And so it's really important that uh, that we focus on it. Now, the uh, Turner Foundation, um, as a result of our trip to Nigeria. 
uh, redirected about a fifth of our annual funding towards uh, meeting this international unmet need. Uh, and we've done it in partnership in a um, in a in partnership with other foundations, with other funders, including the Gates Institute, Packard, Hewlett, um, MacArthur, um, some some of the other big ones, Guttmacher, mm -hmm. and we've actually been able to, uh, as part of the U Universal Access Project, increased funding for international family planning by 30% over the past couple of years. So I would say that that is, um, that is, uh, that is, shows that there is a lot of interest and, and when funders get together and work collectively, um, you know, there's a lot of good that can come out of it. Of course, the, the Gateses hosted the, um, the internet, the conference on family planning in the UK last summer. And they uh, committed, um, I think it was $1.6 billion uh, of the $4.3 billion that would be um, the, 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 the amount of money needed to provide family planning services to 120 million women uh, by 2020. So it's called the FP 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can go online and, and check out uh, uh, their report that just was delivered um, uh, at the uh, International uh, Conference on Family Planning in Ethiopia, uh, which is, is remarkable because they've, they've raised millions of dollars towards us. They're putting in the infrastructure. They've been negotiating uh, costs of, 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 of contraception, which was a big barrier. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of great things are happening, and I encourage your listeners to check out FP 2020 uh, that the Gates Institute um, uh, just put this report out. And, and like I said, it, it launched right there at the at the conference and uh, at the AU. So you've you've touched on something that I as that that I as an outsider uh, would like to ask you as as a sort of insider as a philanthropist as a phenomenon that I've sort of seen, which is that sort of when you see Bill and Melinda Gates get behind something, you see a lot of other philanthropies and a lot of and uh, a lot of other policymakers sort of follow behind and and sort of join them in the cause. Um, right. And and I guess you know we're. And, and you're saying, I guess, the London Conference on Family Planning was a real inflection point when the Gates sort of put out their marker that this is going to be our next big priority. And you, as a, a sort of supporting philanthropist, are you know, sort of participating in the, in the cause. Uh, well, most definitely. And I think that, you know, my dad has had, um, you know, a big influence on, on the Gates. Um, uh, Bill uh, Gates had said that he attributes to... Uh, his philanthropy to uh, dad's influence and leadership there. And I think dad has been a leader on this. And the fact that the UN Foundation has really taken this up as, as an issue um, with, uh, with uh, many other uh, funders has is, is been great. And, and of course, um, the Gateses have more money than God. And uh, when they, when they, like you said, when they get yeah. behind an issue, they can really move it because they have uh, the best and brightest minds 
working on these issues. But, uh, you know, you've got Hewlett and Packard, Wallace, Summit, mm-hmm. West Wind, um, it, it, and, and just a lot of great uh, funding um, uh, foundations, you know, working on this issue. And when, when, when you see that happen through partnerships and alliances and, and uh, coalitions, uh, you cut out a lot of the, um, a lot of the waste and the inefficiencies. And, um, and I think that that's why the stars are aligning on this issue and there's, you know, it's really becoming a very powerful movement. I'm wondering sort of what you think, it seems that one barrier on, on the issue of uh, sort of supporting, promoting global reproductive health, at least here in the United States, is that sometimes, I, I think incorrectly, it gets caught up in abortion politics. I mean, you mentioned the global gag rule. There's also, you know, the fact that, um, you know, for, for various reasons, the Bush administration didn't support the U.N. Population Fund uh, for many years, and then sort of the Democrats come into office and they support it. Uh, I'm wondering if there are any ways to sort of disentangle uh, support for, you know, the unmet need for family planning with sort of domestic American abortion politics. Well, but I think it's a, a, a matter of educating the public, and I think that um, you know the, the getting the word out, the truth out, that family planning actually prevents abortions and and in unwanted, unintended pregnancies, and in these poor countries, um, you know, it really it improves uh, maternal and infant infant mortality rates greatly. And, you know, and that's what it's all about. It, you know, having a bunch of, of extremists talking about, you know, family planning and, and, and uh, reproductive health care being a driver of abortion, it really is about avoiding uh, it in, in as many cases as possible. And we just really are, I don't think that, that, that we've done a good job getting the message out and, and setting what the message is. The other side has, has done a better job. But I, I think that that is beginning to shift. And out of, you know, I was honored to be one of 3,000 delegates at this con- conference. And a lot, it was very diverse. There was, a, you know, a ton of people, delegates from the global south, um, I heard that, that uh, two years prior at the International Conference on Family Planning in Senegal, uh, there wasn't a lot of representation from African countries. And, um, but this time it was different. It was very diverse, and there were a lot of men there, um, which I think is really uh, it's a, it's, it's a very crucial uh, step forward, and, 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 and we have to have men um, be part of this conversation, and of course, boys, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, making them part of the, the solution and ed- educating them as well. Uh, in Ethiopia, one, you know, they, they really have been leading um, uh, on this issue of family planning, and in their constitution, they have made it a woman's right to have access uh, to reproductive health care and family planning. And, um, and they've been able to double their uh, contraception prevalence rate, uh, one of the few countries to be able to do that in just a few years. And um, they have reduced their, their birth rates as a result, but uh, still they're high. Um, I think they're 48 
but it's due to lack of education uh, in rural areas and cultural barriers. And um, I heard a, a couple of stories uh, at the conference where where women, once they knew what their options were, they would go and talk to their husband and say, this is why it's important to me for my health. This is why it's important for our children so that they can be educated and healthy. And this is why it's important to our family and our community and, 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 and it's true empowerment. Um, and then it would shift the way that the husband uh, saw things, and so he would allow um, uh, uh, his wife to, to, to use contraception. And I think that that's, that's what it's a matter of. And, and I think, like I said, the stars are aligning, and this movement is really moving forward in a very powerful way. So, um, and that's what you're doing with your blog, sharing it with your listeners. And I think that the media, there was a great media presence um, in Addis Ababa. Uh, and, and at this conference. And I think that, you know, when you get the information out um, in the United States, and this is where, this is where a lot of the resources are to, to um, you know, that where individuals can contribute uh, by sharing information and by contributing and helping these, just like digging wells in, in com countries that are, that are dying of thirst, you know, that's really important. And there's a big movement, um, you know, to, to get that done. But this is also part of that uh, empowering, empowering women, empowering communities, and uh, a very important part of it. So early in our conversation, you, you, you referenced that your dad was talking about FGM like 20 years ago before anyone sort of had ever sort of, you know, before it was on the, the tips of many tongues, uh, you know, at least in, in sort of Western, Western press and Western media. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of, uh, you know, growing up in, in the Turner household, I mean, were, were, did you sort of feel destined to become an advocate for these kinds of issues? I can only imagine sort of what dinner table conversations must must have been like. Um, but I guess what are some of your earliest thoughts and your earliest memories of, of sort of your engagement with these global justice issues? Well, um, it really, you know, started with, with CNN and my dad's um, – you know, his awareness of what was going on in the world and, and the fact that he shared not only with our family but with the, with the world through, you know, uh, through CNN, through CNN International, you know, some of the train wrecks that were happening around the world because of depletion of resources and, uh, you know, uh, uh, degradation of, of the life, you know, life support systems. And we're seeing that escalate with mm -hmm. the, with the uh, layering on of the, the climate changes and, and global warming. And that's a, another really important missing part of the conversation is the fact that, um, you know, science that's been around since the 1800s, uh, and the smartest science, scientists, the Nobel laureate scientists, I think there's like 3,000 of them, that um, uh, that are saying we the, the extreme weather that we are seeing is related to the carbon pollution that we're putting in the atmosphere that we've been putting, you know, for a couple hundred years, and it's all building up, and we're you know, we're reaching a crescendo where the, 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 the earth systems cannot, uh, cannot 
you know, cannot handle it. And we're seeing these horrible storms like we did in Tacoban, uh, and, and, and they're becoming more frequent and more devastating. And so if we're going to spend our careers and, 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 and make it our lives work to empower women and girls, we need to make sure that we're helping them develop sustainability using renewable energy as much as possible and limiting the, 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 the emissions of wealthy countries. Because not only it'd be one thing if the, the carbon emissions from burning fossil fuels and overconsumption was just affecting the country that it was, that, that was, uh, that was, you know, that were the perpetrators, but what, but it affects the poorest the most. The ones that contribute least to the problem are the ones that are hit the hardest and the heaviest. One of the speakers um, uh, was uh, this woman from Kenya, and she was saying not only did she have to plant crops once or twice, but they were now having to do it three and four times because the, the season is longer and it's hotter and the ground is drier. And Wangari Matai, who's the Nobel Peace Laureate, mm -hmm. uh, she started a, an organization, well, a movement called the Green Belt Movement. And her country, the citizens in her country, planted 50,000, no, not thousands, 50 million trees to try to bring back the, the moisture and the rain and, 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 and kind of uh, reconstruct ecosystems and their services, their valuable you know, services to civilization. And, and, and I think that that's another thing that we mm -hmm. need to, we have to be thinking about, is how are we going to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, bring these ecosystem services back? How do we restore the balance? And, and, and that's really, you can't have a, a, a strong economy if you don't have the natural resources to do it and so this, the life support yeah, system. This sounds like a, a good segue. So I, I'm 32 years old, which means I sort of grew up watching Captain Planet. Uh, every every Saturday morning, you know, a walked it up and watched there. I, I was I was an eager planeteer, as were you know. I think most, I mean, pretty much everyone, you know, about my age, uh, you know, from the uh, United States, kind of grew up watching uh, Captain Planet, uh, which you know, to, in in full disclosure, I only found out that it this was sort of a Turner funded enterprise. Uh, just a few years ago, actually, when I was sort of writing for UN Dispatch and sort of working with the UN Foundation, I, it sort of, I just thought it was just another cartoon. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to, you are now the chair of the Captain Planet Foundation, but I'm wondering if you can take us back to the early 1990s when, when this idea was hatched. So where, where did it come about and sort of how did, you know, your dad and, and I, I guess were you involved at all in sort of the, the hatching of, of Captain Planet? Well, Dad has mostly hatched these ideas on his own. <laughs> He's just such a genius and a visionary. Um, and, you know, as somebody who put the vision back in television. Uh, <laughs> but he, he uh, because of some reports, you know, these international reports on on, on, the, uh, on the, uh, the life support systems of the planet were so negative during the 80s. And he, he was very much alarmed about the predictions uh, as far as, you know, the, what was going to happen in the oceans and, and terrestrially and with climate and what have you. And 
he he just said, well, we've got to be able to empower um, young people on these very important, crucial uh, issues of global importance. And and not only was it environmental issues, but it was also social issues that dealt with war, landmines, and what have you. So it was a very balanced program, and it was the first cartoon to feature uh, eco-superhero, and also the, the major characters came, were youth from every uh, part of the world, every continent. And it was the first time, um, you know, children could watch in 100 countries and 23 different languages uh, characters that represented what, what they were, you know, that looked like them. And so it was a very diverse program, and it was also so so wonderful. It showed children what they could do, youth could do uh, individually, but when they combined their efforts, they could do so much more. So by by our powers, powers combined, combined, that's right. And then when the job got too big to handle, what did they do? They called on a higher power, right? So it's in, in a way um, uh, divine inter- intervention. And I think that, you know, uh, well, uh, no matter what religion you profess to, um, you know, I, I think that there's some issues that are kind of out of our ability to, to control, you know, uh, in so many different uh, aspects of our lives. And, and so you call on divine inter- intervention. And I, and, and I think it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's so beautiful and, and, and well done and funny, and, and it's not doom and gloom. It's, it's empowering and, and, and hopeful. Uh, it's it, it just a great, a, a great asset. And then um, now that Sony's producing the movie, uh, I, there's two more years to go. It's been about oh. two years already. There was a final script. And then Cartoon Network is developing um, a, a, a cartoon series so that Captain Planet can be brought to a new uh, cadre of, of youth. So this is, a, this is really interesting. So, you know, the, 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 your, your target audience was, were like 10-year-olds in the, in the 90s or, you know, or 10 to 15-year-olds, say, or probably younger than that. But that's, that you're, that's playing the, the long game, right? I mean, you are investing in... I guess indoctrinating is, is the wrong word, but uh, educating and empowering uh, youth on these these sort of social issues from a very young age, and, and you're expecting them to be advocates for the cause, like twenty, thirty years down the road. I guess, and it's wh- working because they are I mean, the planeteers. Uh, yeah. They've been meeting up on Facebook since Captain Planet turned twenty, so for a couple of years. <laughs> And there are about 600,000 uh, planeteers that are conversing and uh, sharing ideas and, and what have you uh, on, on Facebook. But wherever I travel, I have uh, people come up uh, uh, that are now these millennials and these young career professionals in every business sector telling me how much the cartoon impacted their lives. Yeah. And these are uh, these are are uh, young people, young career professionals that actually developed a um, they developed a, a a sense of stewardship and an understanding of the issues, and they are moving into leadership uh, 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 positions within their own companies or within you know cor- the corporate sector uh, in the in, in the. Uh, 
and you know, just so, they're doing great and, and amazing things. So, and I, they come up to me all the time and tell me how much the cartoon has impacted them. So you're you're uh, um, re-upping uh, Captain Planet, and and so your uh, is the target audience is probably about the same age. You know, children. What's what's your long is what's your message? To them, or what's what's the the long game that that you want them well, to? Well, first of all, is it, is it different from what it was? Like, well, you know, 20 you know years we ago don't have any control uh, over what the new Captain Planet looks like, or you know what the what the storyline is, because it is actually a, a Time Warner. You know, Captain Planet, the, the Turner family doesn't own Captain Planet. It's mm-hmm. Time Warner that does, and they're the ones that are working with Sony to 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 make the movie and the cartoon series, but. Um, I've been told that the, the mission of Captain Planet will remain the same, and I would imagine that they they expect all the planeteers to come back and bring their their young families, and 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 I'm sure they will, but it will be probably more like a a, 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 a typical um, because it's a, a live action film. It will look like a superhero. Film and the budget is is exceptional for this, so it's not going to be, um, you know, a, a, a half baked movie. It's going to be a really amazing uh, film, and I and I believe that uh, that it's it's in you know with the right companies to get that done. So. Well, I'm, I'm excited about it. Wonder if it just to, to bring this conversation full circle, if the new Captain Planet will help empower the 222 million women who have an unmet need for family planning, or if maybe that was a, that's a step too far for well, a children's action movie. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I I really don't know about that. A lot of the we'll, we'll have to see, but you know, the foundation. I just encourage. Um, uh, you know, schools and youth groups to check out CaptainPlanetFDN.org, uh, and you, that's where you can go to apply for a small grant uh, for hands-on environmental project. We are getting ready to have directly funded our millionth child uh, impacted uh, through these amazing environmental uh, uh, programs, and it's uh, a very uh, exciting time um, uh, for us, and we're, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, in, de- in December right here in, in Atlanta. We'd love for you to come and join us uh, if you can, yeah. but, um, you know, restoring wetlands and planting uh, edible gardens and uh, planting trees and starting starting uh, recycling programs and any number uh, of really uh, great, well thought out programs in the schools that makes these kids want to be um, uh, stewards of what God has given us, and also uh, they can realize that they through their um, through all of the work that they do in these projects, that they can really change the world, that they can have an impact. And it's not like learning about environmental issues in a classroom where it just looks so, um, it, it looks so uh, uh, daunting and, and doomy and gloomy that, that they don't even want to, uh, to participate. This is uh, a, a really great way to um, educate kids and get them excited about the, the possibilities. Uh, well, Laura, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was great. And thank you very much to Laura Turner Seidel, and thank you all for listening. You can always catch up on global affairs, news, and opinion on undispatch.com. Until next time. Thank you.